0: Let's talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844 999 9249, or again, you can always send your questions to our mailbox at letstalktorah at gmail.com. You know, I saw a great story. I think it's a good lead in. Usually, I say my stories for the end. But in my last segment, I had also a great story, and I didn't even think about saying it. I was so busy. So I just saw the story this week. Very interesting story. A teacher asks her class. um, She tells them the following story and asks their reaction. So there's a boat, and um, I'm sure this is a long time ago. There's a boat, and the boat is sinking, and people are getting onto the life rafts, and there's not enough life rafts. So there's a husband and wife, and there's one spot left on the life raft. So the husband sort of gives a push to his wife, jumps into the life raft, and the wife screams something at the husband. And then the husband um, makes way safely, and the wife uh, goes down with the ship. That's the first part of the story. So the teacher asks her class, what do you think— the wife yelled at her husband. Okay, so most of us are imagining words that we won't say on this program, um, but she—you would imagine—she gave it to. That was the response of most of the children. One boy raises hand, and he says that um, the boy said, "Take care of our child." So the teacher says, "That's that—that's what happened. That's very good. How'd you know that?" So he gives some type of—his uh, uh, mother was sick or something. Okay. So the teacher says, okay, let me tell you the real story. The real story was that this husband and wife were going on a—I guess we'll call it a last tour because the the wife had terminal cancer, and they had a daughter at home. So to send the wife in the boat, she's not going to live much longer. So she said, you have to go on the boat— because someone has to take care of our daughter, and that won't be able to be me. So the husband goes, he goes onto the boat, and he takes care of his daughter. And the daughter, it seems, never knew the story. seems after the father passed away, many, many years later, so the daughter is going through the diary. And he wrote in the diary how his wife was was terminal, and he knew he had to save his daughter— And the daughter didn't even know. She knew the story, but she didn't really know what happened. The point of the story is when we see things that happen to people and we see things that happen, things are not always as they seem. When we say seeing is believing, seeing and hearing is not always believing. And that... Really leads us into a a a, a fascinating uh, command in this week's Torah portion, and it's the command about the false prophet. So the Torah says, if there arises amongst you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he tells you not to follow one of the commands of God, so the rule is he's executed. So let's let's take this very slowly because there's a, like a lot of nuances we have to deal with. First of all, the Torah says again, if there rise amongst you a prophet, right, or a dreamer of dreams, and by the way, the Torah says, and he does wonders. He does miracles. He tells you the future. But then he says to not follow one of God's commands. Let's say he says to do idol worship for argument's sake, but that's not the only example. Um. He has to be executed. So first things first, he's a false prophet, right? The Torah is telling us that if he's telling you, even though he's doing wonders, but he's telling you not to follow one of God's commands. So there's 613 commands in the Torah, again, of which most of them, no one can have all 613. It's just not, it's not possible, right? This one's not a king, and this was not a priest, and this one's not a man, this was not a lady. You can't do all of them. That's just life. Um, but you have to believe that God commanded all 613, and I have to do all of them, as God wants me to do all of them. Whether you choose to do all of them or not, that's your problem. But you can't walk around saying, God doesn't want me to do this one. Or the prophet can't walk around saying that uh, God changed his mind. He said, these four, forget about. Them. You're good if you do 609. You're good if you do 72. No way. The Torah is telling you, you must do all the commands again the ones that are that are that are relative to you but you can't walk around saying that this one is now is off the books so the first thing you have to think about is why are we calling him a prophet right why, why are we calling him a prophet he, he's a false prophet prophet means god spoke to him the torah says it's called the navi god will speak to the navi like moses like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, right? God will speak to the prophet. The prophet's job is to tell me what God wants. Usually it's to tell me I'm not behaving so well, I'm not doing the commands the way I'm supposed to, I'm not studying Torah the way I'm supposed to, or whatever God wants the prophet to tell me. So, uh, if this guy is a false prophet, why is the Torah referring to him as a prophet? Um, So, some answer that this is like a mocking tone, right? The guy, this guy telling me not to listen to God, calls himself a prophet of God. He thinks I listened to him better that way. So he refers to himself as a prophet of God, but in truth, he's not a prophet. Others actually say we're talking about somebody who once was a prophet, and he, uh, he's turned. In other words, he, at one time, God spoke to him. He was a great person. Right, Because God's not speaking to somebody who's not great. And the person's turned. How is such a thing possible? Because we're born with free choice. And just because the person is greater and follows God and does whatever God says, does not mean the person can't change his mind later. If I can't change my mind, I don't have free will. I'm not a robot. I always have the ability to change who I am and what I am and what I believe in and what I stand for. So it could be he was once a prophet, but, but the first way is the simpler way to learn the verse, that the this person espousing that he's communicating with God, um, he's calling himself a prophet. But in truth, it's completely made up. So the next question, which is really much more important for us, is um, the Torah says he does wonders, he tells the future. So first of all, there's uh, there's different ways to ask the question, but how could that be, right? The it, the guy is saying I'm talking for God, and God is somehow allowing him to do wonders. Like what gives? So on this, there's there's really a lot of answers, a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, the Torah itself calls it a test, which again we have to understand what kind of test this is. So Nachmanides <laughs> or the Ramban. He actually says that God is giving him the power to tell the future. There are people in the world that somehow have the ability to tell the future. Maybe they're super astrologers or astronomers or or whatever it is. Somehow, necromancers, other things. God allows people, some, to tell the future. doesn't mean they're prophets of God. But it's it's to allow those people to test us. If this person who can tell the future, and then I go ahead, and then he tells me that God doesn't want me to do uh, whatever command, whatever mitzvah it is, what will my reaction be? As God is telling me in this Torah portion, there will be people who come in the future, and they can tell you the future, and they'll look very holy. And they'll tell you not to follow God with all the commands the Torah gave. So God is right here in the Torah. is warning those people will come along. And God says you can't listen to them. That's the test. But God's already pre-warned me that such people will exist. So we actually had um, in what's called the Dafyobi, those who do a a page of Talmud every day. So um, we have such a story. There were two people. There was the great Shmuel. Not Shmuel the prophet, This not Samuel the prophet. This is Shmuel from the Talmud. And it seems he has stories with a guy by the name of Avlate. Avlate was, a, I believe, a non-Jew, but it seems he could tell the future. So you see such people existed. So the story is that this Shmuel and Avlate are sitting next to each other. And a, a group of people are going to, I guess, cut wood, firewood maybe, or reeds in a swamp. And Avlate said, that guy is going to die he's Jewish, that guy's going to die. Shmuel says, who says? Who says? Sure enough, whatever it is, 15, 20 minutes later, the guy's coming back with a whole um, bunch of uh, wood, I guess, tied to his back. He did his chopping. So Avlate is flabbergasted. He said, no way. He They call the guy over. He says, if you don't mind, we need to look through, your, um, through the wood you chopped over here. There's something wrong. Sure enough... In the pile of wood is a snake sliced in half. So Avalade says, how could this be? You, you were supposed to die. So Shmuel asks him, did you do any good deed? Did you do something that uh, that you were able to kill the snake? You didn't even know the snake was there. So the guy says, you know, we have a custom. This We go out as a group. And um, everybody has to basically bring some type of bread. And then there's like a communal collection. And then we pass it around and everybody takes something to eat. I saw one of the guys was very nervous. I said, what happened? He said, I forgot to bring my bread today. Everyone's going to yell at me. I feel I'm I'm nervous. So the guy says, don't worry. I'll be in charge of collecting the bread today. and And I'll put, I have extra bread today and I'll make it look like you're giving. You shouldn't be embarrassed. Sure enough, the guys are like, out, right, I've got to collect this one, that one, the next one. And he pretends to take bread from the guy who doesn't have, so the guy's not embarrassed. So the Shmuel says, you see, you did a good deed. It's like charity, right? You, you gave him your bread. You didn't want to be embarrassed. So charity saves from death. The point being that there is a concept that people could see the future However, it happens to be that when it comes to the Jewish people, that concept called mazel, that concept called luck, right? That idea is something that um is not automatic that the Jewish people are not automatically under the constellations that we must be affected by by um what the stars say will be. It's open to interpretation. It's open to change if we do a good deed. If We don't, then uh, yeah, then we could be under the constellations like anybody else. But through prayer, through good deeds, we could change. We could change what it says over there. So that's one good example. Another very famous example happens in the same piece of Talmud um, is a, a witch um, uh, came to Rabbi Akiva and said, the great Rabbi Akiva, and said that your daughter will die on her wedding day. Okay. Again, somebody telling the future. Rabbi Akiva was concerned. We've said this story numerous times, very famous story. And um, I guess the next morning, um, Rabbi Akiva's daughter um, wakes up and uh, she screams. Rabbi Akiva runs to the tent and they see that her hairpin um, is stuck between the eyes of a snake in the wall. And the snake should have killed her. But she uh, pulled out her pen and wasn't looking and stuck it in between the snake's eyes. So Mekiva said, what good deed did you do yesterday? So he says, you know, they were all talking or whatever you were doing, speeches. And I heard somebody by the door, a poor person by the door. He asked for food. So I took my portion and I gave it to him. Now we've talked about this story. You didn't get to go back to the kitchen for another portion. She gave her a portion she did not eat by the wedding feast, because she gave away her portion. That's one of the reasons why there's a custom by many weddings that there's like an open table for people from the outside to come and just eat. If you've ever been to weddings in Brooklyn, um, I'm assuming um, other places are the same, but I've seen it in Brooklyn where there's tables for people that are poor, people that are homeless, will come in and eat and then leave because of this story. So again, the witch was right. And she saw the future, that his daughter was supposed to die. She didn't die. And then what seems to happen is, this was a time the person was supposed to die. If they didn't die at this point, they could live for who knows how many more years. Like, the game has now changed. So you see this concept that a prophet could tell... Not a prophet. That there are people, according to Ramban, that could tell the future... um, But the Torah is telling us, just because they can tell the future, like I told you in the story we we started out with, seeing is not believing, hearing is not believing. We do not believe in in Moses because he was a great prophet. We believe in Moses because we saw God give us the Torah, right? Millions of people saw God give the Torah to the Jewish people and, and hand it to Moses and talk to the Jewish people. So our belief is from there. So we know Moses is the prophet that God set up to tell us the commands. But even Moses can't tell us not to do one of the commands, right? No no prophet, even if we know he's a prophet, can change what the Torah says. We got the Torah. Torah says you believe the prophet. Great. But you can't believe the prophet if he's telling you not to keep one of the commands. Now, even with this, that's not 100% true. There's the famous story with uh, with Elijah on Mount Carmel. You had a lot of idol worship going on and Elijah had set up that it wasn't raining for 3 years. So there was like the the battle. Right? You have the 400 worshipers of what was called the Baal on one side, Elijah on the other side of Mount Carmel, and the Jewish people were there. And um the Elijah said to those 400, you guys go first, you'll bring your sacrifice, do all the stuff you want to do, but no fire. Fire is going to have to come from your idol. And, of course, nothing happened. Actually, in the story, there was it says there was a, um, one of those um, idol worship guys, one of those priests, was actually trying to light a fire under the altar, and a snake came and killed him, right? That's a different story for another time, that people will go ahead and lie to do something because they believe they're correct, right? people will go so far to—they—they they know they can't get the fire to come down, but they believe in their idol, so they'll bring their own fire, even though they're claiming that the idol's bringing it. That, that's how people are—they, when they believe in something so strongly. And that's certainly happening during uh, this these pandemic times that when people believe something, uh, and election times, people believe in something so strongly, they will lie and make up stories just to make sure you listen to them. It's, uh, it's dishonest, but okay, that's for really another day. Elijah prays and God sends out a fire and consumes everything. The problem was that once the temple was built, you were not allowed to have a private altar to bring a sacrifice to God outside of the temple. You're not allowed to do that. It's one of the commands of the Torah. So how can a prophet go ahead? We just said if a prophet says to do something not like God says, he's a false prophet. So how is Elijah allowed to do this? The other guys say we're idol worshipers. But you say you believe in the Torah. You believe in the Torah. The Torah says that you cannot, you're not allowed to do anything, even though you're a prophet, that it doesn't say in the Torah. Or the Torah says that you, you can't do You can't say the rule's changed. So this one is, as we call, special dispensation. Um, it's only a problem if the prophet says it's permanent. For Elijah, say permanently you don't got to go to the Temple Mount. You can bring a, a, on your own private altar in your backyard. That Elijah would not have been allowed to do. But as a one-time exception to the rule, that the prophet is allowed to do. And again, it only is because this was a prophet that we already had experience with that we knew it was a prophet. Okay, so now let's get to the next part of this fantastic um, command about the false prophet. And that is that God says, I'm testing you. So what does it mean I'm testing you? So this is something we've talked about with Abraham and the 10 tests. God does not need to test me for God to know what my reaction is going to be. The purpose of the test is for me to know how I will react in this situation. God knows I can pass the test, so is he wasting my time. It's for me to know that I can pass the test, that I can become a better person, that I can stretch and be even better than what I imagined I could be. So the purpose of the test is not for God. The purpose of the test is for me. Um, Interesting, by the way, um, on another Same concept. They were saying that how could it be that people could do it? How could they do these wonders? So the Rajabam says it's no different than um, in Egypt where they did magic. In Egypt, they had the ability to do magic. So the same idea that this prophet is some great magician. Such a concept, if it's what they call uh, uh, for the what they call the sitra achra or tumah or impurities or powers of impurities. God put in the world that these things exist. And there's people that can do, at least to those days, they could tell the future, they could do magic. There were, such a thing existed. But I need to know that seeing is not believing and hearing is not believing. I believe what the Torah says. And the rules and regulations that are written down in the Torah, that's what God wants me to do. That's what I do. Does he want me to listen to a prophet? Yeah, as long as the prophet's job is telling me to be better, is telling me what God wants me to do. But as soon as the prophet tells me to do something that God said not to do, I can't listen to him anymore. Um, There are those who, by the way, um, take it even further. Um, In Russia, it seems that uh, when there would be where I saw the swords, they called them righteous converts. But it doesn't have to be the righteous converts. We, anybody had it in Spain, but you clearly had it in Russia, where the Russian priests would try to convince Jewish people to convert to Christianity. They said, look, all these miracles that Jesus did, he did all these miracles. Isn't that enough of a proof for you to follow Jesus? And they knew to answer this week's Torah portion. They said, God already told us thousands of years ago, way before Jesus came around, that God said that if a prophet comes along, even if he does miracles, if he says to do what it doesn't say in the Torah, if he says the rules of the Torah have changed, then he's a false prophet. And and therefore, he incurs death penalty. But But that's something the Torah already built in, that no prophet can come along even if he does miracles, or she, by the way. Right, Even he or she does miracles, I do not follow that prophet. I follow the Torah. And the Torah already said that if somebody comes to change what the Torah says, it doesn't matter what miracles they do to make the sun stop in the middle of the sky, we don't listen. Now, there is a Rambam. Maimonides takes it a little different. Maimonides says he doesn't believe in all this magic. He doesn't believe in all these miracles. He says it doesn't happen. Everything is is pretend magic. Anybody could do it. It's a sleight of hand, whoever they did it. He learns the verse that even if the person would have the ability to do miracles, you don't listen. But the truth is, um, the person does not have the ability to do those miracles. And, uh, and therefore, it can't, it cannot, and it will not even happen. Finished. Um, interesting. Um, I got a few minutes left over here. And I have other stories, but there's another command. I think it's a once we talk about charity, ready. So there's another verse about charity. Um, the verse says that you you cannot close your hand when you give charity. You're supposed to have an open hand. Now, normally we just assume that to mean that a closed hand means I'm holding on to my money, and an open hand means uh, I'm giving my money. So the Vilna says a little different. The Vilna says, you know, when your hands are closed, everything is together. Everything is the same. When your hands are open, so now there's a space in between. Each of my fingers are a little bit different. So there's a fascinating law when it comes to charity. If you had a wealthy person that was poor, and I have to take care of him, and I have a poor person I have to take care of, so it says you have to help the wealthy person, giving him things he was used to. The wealthy person was used to having a horse, he has to get a horse. Poor person never had a horse, you don't have to give him a horse. And as the Torah is saying, when I take care of the poor person, I, I, it's not, not everyone is the same. Like my fingers spread out. Not all my fingers are the same, right? Not the space in between my fingers are not all the same. I have to be able to go ahead and treat each person as an individual, which is interesting when you think about charity. We're going to have somebody in a couple of weeks who's a, a big uh, philanthropic um, advisor. And and we're gonna and many people are into organizations. Organizations can affect more people and they can take care of more people. But here, interesting enough, um the Vilna Gone is saying the Torah is talking about charity to individuals. It is true. When I give a large sum of money to an organization, that organization can help a lot of people. But a lot of times I have to remember to focus on the individual poor people that need charity. I have to look at each individual and it's not It's not one flavor for each, for all. And it's each person is an individual. And each person has to get what he or she needs. And that's part of my job when I'm giving charity. And here again comes my music. And I know we don't have enough time. So many papers here, so many topics. We can't reach them all. We can't talk about them all, but hopefully we helped you out a little bit. So I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you again to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Thank you again to our wonderful production team. I have David in the back, working so hard, helping out so much. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzwi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. A house we can build Every room inside is filled